Very good morning to you all. Lovely, lovely to be with you. I was just saying to the deacons as we were praying before the service that all my life in ministry I've taught in series. So through a book or a passage or explored biographical character, uh, a theme that I've developed, and it's always been in series. So since I retired, of course, you, you lost a congregation. And so um, I preach one of. But I have to say, it's a delight to be able to do a little series again. So thank you very much for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure. The theme this week is events preceding his coming. Next week, God willing, unless he's come already, we're going to look at the, the events that are immediately surrounding the moment of his coming. So these are the events that leading up to that final, final period of time. Okay? Now, in a sense, many of the subjects that I'm simply going to headline for you today are worthy of significant development. Uh, there is so much written in Scripture, both Old and New Testament, Jesus' teaching and the apostles, that you could spend weeks looking at these events preceding. But for the sake of your sanity and lunchtimes, I'm going to limit it to four main headings this morning so that you can just get the feel of the teaching rather than it all in depth. The first sign, I've got four signs of his coming. The first sign is the sign of Israel. In 73 AD, on Masada, which is a huge flat-top mountain by the Dead Sea in Israel, the final resistance to Roman authority by the Jewish rebels was, uh, took place with the suicide of those on the mountain, Jewish people. At that time, 73 AD, it was estimated that there were approximately 100,000 Jewish people left on the face of the earth. Uh, the current population of Jewish people in Israel itself is just over 7 million today. And worldwide, there are approximately... 15 million Jewish people, which actually is a very small population. Nonetheless, the transformation of the Jewish people, and particularly the restoration of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, has been extraordinary by any measure over the last 150 years. Compared to Masada and 73 AD, if you have had the privilege, as I have of many times visiting Israel, you will know that Israel 
is a thriving, energetic, vibrant community, always arguing with itself. But it is alive, and it is thriving. In Matthew 23, just before our reading, Jesus spoke these words. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Speaking to a Jewish audience, he says, I long to gather you, but you wouldn't have it. But when I return, you will greet me. A Jewish audience will greet him. In the words, classic words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there will be this great fulfillment of a restoration to the land that the prophets, Jesus himself hinted at here, prior to his coming. And this great influx of Jewish people from around the world, particularly in the last 150 years, is an indicator, it's a sign that whilst they may be there for many reasons, one of them is that Jesus said they would be there when he comes again. Let me illustrate that with one little prophetic action of Jesus. In Matthew 21, we, we read this. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again, and immediately the tree died. A fig tree. He cursed the fig tree because it wasn't bearing any fruit, and it died. A fig tree, along with an olive tree, is an Old Testament symbol of Israel. The best chapter for exploring that is in Jeremiah chapter 24. But later in our reading, it said this, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. In the context of this great teaching on his coming, Jesus reminds the disciple of what they saw and observed when he cursed the fig tree and it died. He said, remember the fig tree? Remember it? As soon as its lid twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things and know that it is near right at the door, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away. The word generation can also be translated race. It's exactly the same word. Will not pass away 
until these things have happened. So Jesus is using the fig tree as an enacted parable, a prophetic action. He says this, the fig tree didn't bear fruit, so it withered and died. But there will come a time when the fig tree will be restored, and then it will flourish and blossom and become fruitful again. Jesus said, that's the time when all these things will happen. So when we see a regathering of the Jewish people in their land and the signs of life, both community and spiritually, developing, Jesus said, that's a sign the time is coming nearer. Jesus said one other thing I want to draw your attention to on this particular sign of Israel. And it has to do with the city of Jerusalem itself. Speaking in a parallel passage, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 are all the same teaching uh, about his return in the Gospels. So in the Luke version, Luke adds this. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem, as a part of their withering and dying, will be trampled on by Gentiles. Now, in the 2,000 years from Jesus, Jerusalem has been trodden down by at least 10 overlords. The Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire, Persians, Arabs, Crusaders, Ottoman, British, and Jordanian. Jerusalem was under a Gentile sovereignty until the Six-Day War in 1967. And in 1967, that was the first time that you could say this prophecy of Jesus in Matthew, in, in Luke 21, has come to pass. And so for the last, what is it, 59 years now, that prophecy has held good and it has remained in uh, Israel's sovereignty. Jesus said, it's a sign. The city, the people gathered, becoming fruitful. You know, in Israel today, there are a growing number of strong, vibrant, what they call messianic churches. Groups of Jewish believers who have found Jesus as their Messiah. So that we see in Israel today, not just a reborn, revitalized nation, but we see a spiritual dynamic growing of great power so that when he comes, they will be able to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The sign to look for is Israel. 
Derek Prince said this, above all, keep your eyes on Israel as the sign and key to Jesus' coming. The second sign I want to draw your attention to are signs in nature. Last week, we explored the phrase birth pains, and it had to do with timing. Paul took the phrase from Jesus' teaching, which we read here in verses 4 to 8 of Matthew 24. And Jesus mentions then, on, in this teaching, a number of things that are going to increase pressure, increase intensity, increase difficulty as the end of the age draws near and his coming comes closer. So within the context of these birth pains and growing intensity, there's a number of things he mentions. He mentions, for example, I'm not going to go into all of them, but this is, for instance, wars. I was interested to discover that Henry V, at the Battle of Agincourt, one of our great famous English victories, in October 1415, in that war, 1,000 Frenchmen died and 20 Englishmen died, and it was all over in a day, and they went home for tea. Contrast that with Russian deaths alone in World War II, which were more than 27 million people. The increase and intensity of war over the years, over the centuries, is unbelievable. There have been more wars in the 20th and 21st century than ever before. Arms sales in 2017 were $400 billion. $400 billion. And I'm sure it's way higher than that now, three or four years later. Things are not getting better. And as we were helpfully led in prayer this morning, we know it's top of our news today what could happen, and the implications of that on the Ukraine-Russia border. Jesus said, watch, war will increase pressure and problem. Famine also, he goes on to mention. Of course, war and famine go together. The United Nations report following the Iraq invasion says this, Iraq has for some time to come been relegated to a pre-industrial age. When war devastates a land, famine follows. That is very noticeable in Africa, where famine is rife, but is very often associated with warfare, particularly currently in the Sudan and northern Nigeria. And all that does is increase the gulf between the haves and the have-nots. Jesus mentions earthquakes. 
The British Geological website says that there is no great significant increase in, web, in earthquakes at the moment. But what is significant is that the number of people living on, in earthquake zones have increased dramatically. And for us, who have uh, a lovely family living in Wellington, New Zealand, sitting on the edge of the Pacific Rim, we are very conscious of that. We have friends in California on the San Andreas Fault. I was there once myself many years ago and was sitting down in the inner sitting room and a light like this suddenly began to sway. It was just extraordinary experience. Earthquakes are going to be there. Luke, in the parallel passage, in verse 11, adds pestilences. I've just recovered from a pestilence. <laughs> I've had my jabs against a pestilence, and I'm sure you have as well. Pestilences are there, and the worst pestilences affecting the most people have been in the last 100 years. The Spanish flu in the early 1920s, post-First World War, and the current COVID pestilence has affected just about every single country in the world and affected the way of life of all of us. Jesus adds fearful events and signs from heaven. Paul, I think, sums it up, these signs in nature. He talks in Romans 8 about all of creation groaning as in travail. Now, it seems to me that our world is groaning in travail now. Jesus predicted that it would. We live in a world of global warming. We live in a world of climate change. We should be doing all we can to heal our world. But Jesus said that for all of the healing that you can bring, ultimately, these things will continue with pressure until he comes. They are a sign of his return. The sign of Israel, the signs in nature. Thirdly, Jesus talks about the signs in the spiritual world. He speaks in verse 9 of persecution. Now, of course, he is speaking in context to a Jewish audience. And when he says persecution, we must think first of all of them. Over the last 2,000 years, there's almost been no people on earth who've suffered more persecution than the Jewish people. But it's broader than that. Not only did that reach a culmination um, in the Holocaust, which of course led directly to the establishment of a homeland for Israel, but also he's referring to those who believe in me, namely the church. So Jesus is looking to a time when that will increase. You may be interested to know that there were more Christian martyrs 
in the 20th century than in all the centuries added together up to the 20th century. Numbers are very difficult to, def to determine, and the reason is it's not always easy to determine who actually is a Christian um, when you're assessing martyrs and Christian deaths. But it's also difficult to know at what point you classify and within which country these things are being done. But the Center for Study for Global Christianity, which was quoted by the Pope for the year 2016-17, reckoned that there were 90,000 martyrs that year. 90,000. Well, even if that's a top number, anything less is still huge and scary. Christianity, by general recognition, is the most persecuted religion in the world. But nobody disputes that. So there will be persecution, and it will increase, and it has been increasing, and, let's face it, is likely to do so more and more. In verse 10, Jesus speaks about those who will turn away from the faith, and will betray and hate each other. Apostasy, Jesus is talking about here. Something that is yet perhaps to reach its final fulfillment, but Jesus warns that as things hot up, the pressures increase, so will there be pressure on people's loyalty and faithfulness, and many will drift away. You can see how the two would go together. There will be a falling away. Then Jesus speaks about false prophets in verse 11. Many false prophets will appear and, and deceive many people. Now, there have always been cults and wannabe messianic figures. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, Walter Martin, some years ago, wrote a very classic book uh, called The Kingdom of the Cult, uh, in which he explored and wrote about 12 worldwide influential cults. But I, I think one of the most worrying trends today is not so much the false cult, and other minor um, problems. The real issue is, is what we can only call a syncretism. It's the amalgamation of shades of faith. There is a, a growing phrase that all roads lead to God, which is being used even by Christian and church leaders, and they don't just mean Anglicans and Baptists and Catholics, all roads lead to God. They include in that Islamic theologies and ways as well. There is a synchronistic approach 
where we dare not judge anybody else. But the, the problem with that is it fails to understand the absolute exclusivity of Jesus. If Jesus said there is no other way to the Father but by me, he meant it. And so there are not lots of different ways leading to God, which is the prevailing attitude by so many. And I think Jesus would say, beware of that way of thinking. It's very unhealthy. Jesus said, be very watchful. Can I just add a personal note here? One of the things I've observed is the fact that there is less of a mention of the Father and Jesus in people's prayers and conversation than a use of the word God. Now, when we're in a setting like this and somebody uses the word God, we know exactly who and what we mean. But out there, the word God has a multitude of interpretations. The word God needs defining. It isn't enough today just to speak about God. Not out there. So I would just urge and encourage us, instead of speaking about God, speak about Jesus. It puts an edge on it, doesn't it? It puts a challenge on it. God is easy to refer to today. There's no problem out there talking about God. Start talking about Jesus, however, and it's another matter. So I think the challenge these days is to be totally, absolutely, and completely Jesus-focused and not simply lose the cutting edge by referring to God. Jesus said, there will be false prophets, and one of those aspects I've just outlined. And then let me just mention the gospel to the Gentiles, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there's going to be a major effort to reach all nations, all languages, all people groups that will be highly fruitful and successful towards the end of the age, the gospel going out. And in these days of mass communication, the gospel is going out in the most extraordinary and remarkable ways. Many years ago, when we were ministering in uh, uh, pastor of a church in Worthing, uh, FEBA, Far East Broadcasting Association, were based in the same town. And uh, one of the guys who's in our church came and told me a, a, a lovely story. He said they were uh, broadcasting the gospel up into the Stan area of Russia. And uh, they came across a, um, a remote group of people who uh, were very isolated from the, the rest of the world. And as they preached the gospel on the radio every week, 
uh, they subsequently discovered that every single person in this village uh, became a Christian, just as a result of the radio gospel broadcast. So they finally got in touch with one another, and Phoebe sent a little team to this village to join in with them and share fellowship. And they went along on a Sunday uh, to have a service, and they were tickled pink to discover that at the end of the service, this little group finished the service by saying, thanks for listening, tune in again next week. <laughs> because that's the way the broadcasters did it, and they introduced them to Jesus, so of course that's what you say. But it's a little story that illustrates the efforts going in on media, Bible societies to bring the gospel to all the remotest parts of the world are energized greatly today. So we watch and we pray. We are alert to the signs of the days, both in nature and in the spiritual world. Those pressures and pains are increasing. I have one last uh, sign for you, and it is the sign of the Spirit. Let me explain what I mean by this. This is where I wish I had a whole day to work you through the book of Joel, but there's rugby this afternoon, <laughs> and I need to see it. In the book of Joel, there is a very, very well-known passage, which while you may not be familiar with much of Joel offhand, you will be very familiar with this passage. This is what it says. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Familiar? Every Pentecost Sunday, we read those words. Fulfilled at that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, what is important in the book of Joel is this, that the book of Joel is divided into four main sections speaking to Israel, physical devastation, and then physical restoration, then spiritual restoration, and finally, the judgment on nations. In other words, Joel's span is eschatological. It is right the way through to the end of the age. And after Israel's destruction and restoration, there comes this promise of the Holy Spirit that will lead into the judgment of the nations, which you'll have to wait for till the very last of these four talks. But the Spirit is poured out as a general sign of the end times. Of course, the Holy Spirit's been in the church for 2,000 years. But since the Reformation, there have been many outpourings of the Holy Spirit in revivals. In the 18th century, the Whitfield and Wesley revivals, 
in the year 1859, remarkable year of revival in the United States, Ulster, Wales, England, 20th century, the Hebridean revival and the Welsh revival. But in 1906, there was something utterly unique happened in Azusa Street in Los Angeles. There was an outpouring of the spirit of such magnitude and force that it led to what became known as the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement. Bishop Stephen Neal wrote this, the emergence of the Pentecostal churches and their missions has been among the most startling phenomena of the church history of the 20th century. The statistics of church growth are incredibly impressive since 1906 and Azusa Street. Christian conversion and church establishment has absolutely soared to an almost vertical graph, on the graph. Wikipedia lists church attendance in different countries of the world. Many of the African countries uh, have by far and away the highest, 80% of the population in Nigeria, Zambia, and Chad. Europe, as we know, one of the lowest church attendance, and in the Middle East and North Africa, virtually none. But what is remarkable in our day, if we step right back, is to realize this phenomenal move. It is written in books. It takes a far greater study than we've got five minutes for this morning. But the movement, as Bishop Stephen Neal says, of that dynamic of the spirit over the last hundred years is phenomenal. The spirit is a sign of his coming. And please God to continue. Amen? Let me commend a book to you. It's, a wind, it's called A Wind in the House of Islam by David Garrison. David Garrison has written about a lot that is happening in Islamic circles and countries concerning the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing Jesus to Muslims and bringing them to the Lord. And it is a wonderful and thrilling book because many of these stories have to be secret, but there is a work of God going on which is just inspirational. Well, these are the events that precede his coming. Things we are called to watch and pray about. The sign of Israel, signs in nature, signs in the spiritual world, and the sign of the Spirit. Do you know what? Everything's in place. Everything's in place. I don't think Jesus is coming next week. Well, I haven't done the third of the talks yet. Because there are, there are things I'm going to be talking about next week that have not yet happened. But virtually all of these things that Jesus called us about are in progress and the pressure pains towards that first moment are on their way. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we do praise you and thank you that you took time to instruct your disciples and disciples in every generation what to be looking out for. Because you didn't want us to be ignorant or left without some kind of direction. We pray, Lord, that these reflections will cause us not to panic or be afraid, for there is no need. We thank you, Lord, that we know the end of the story. We thank you that Jesus wins. But we pray, Lord, that you will help us be alert and watchful as you instruct, that we may seize the day and the opportunity to share good news about you to people who are in need and ignorant thus far. We pray particularly, Lord, for salvation in our families and among our friends. In Jesus' name, amen.